Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Crimeland. I'm Julie J. And this week, I'm chatting to... Sophie Shanley again. <laughs> about the death of Kirsten Costas. So nice to have you back with us. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so thrilled. Did you hear that little? Uh, 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 I couldn't even get out the word quick enough. No, like, we should explain to the listener we're on Skype because it is lockdown. So hopefully the sound quality will be okay. Uh, thus far, the ones I've done, the sound quality has been fine. So we're crossing our fingers. How are you getting on on lockdown, Sophie? I'm okay. I'm. Um... You know, sporadically doing the odd mental thing here and there. Um, ah, yeah, that's what we do. It just breaks up your day, doesn't it? Sure. And then, then it gives you, it takes away a few hours as well because then you ruminate on the stupid thing you mm. did and you get to kind of relive it again and again. So I've just been doing that and I've been um, making lots of lists of things that I need to do, beginning them, not finishing them, um, and eating eating a lot of food, drinking an awful lot. Do you know what? I think I think you're speaking for the masses there, Sophie. I keep writing this. I've actually found one today and I realised I should have entitled it the list How to Be Human because it's literally <laughs> yeah, like, like put a wash on yeah, put a wash on cook dinner, clean up after dinner. I was like, Julie this is a bit of a still Alice list. <laughs> Mine are very like that too. Do you know like clear plates from beside the sink like that's that's you know a fucking teenage boy would do that shit you know yeah and it's like when have we ever I think I just feel a list is giving me some structure to my day but I mean obviously none of us are following the list I think once I've written it I think I've kind of half done it so I'm like pat on the back so you did yeah yeah you've written it down which is enough that's it it's cleansing in a way so th- we're gonna we're gonna we said we'd have Sophie back on because you were absolutely gas on the last one. I I love the way I say we as if there's a big team behind this podcast. <laughs> Look, I put it to the board. 
and uh, they agreed we'd, we'd have Sophie back. I think we did an Instagram poll because the feedback, honestly, Sophie, you were so hilarious on that last episode. You were absolutely brilliant. So this is another one I think you're going to enjoy. It's not quite, it's not quite as meaty, pardon the pun, as our last one, but it's still a goodie. Great. Okay. I think you're going to enjoy. So this is the death of Kirsten Costas, and I used for my um for my for my research I used Wikipedia and Murderpedia, which is a handy one as well. Um. So this murder takes place in the affluent small suburban town of Orinda, California, in 1984. I don't think you were born in 1984, Sophie. Um, I wasn't. I was born in 87, so it's three years. I was still a twinkle in my father's eye. Um, I wasn't born. You're correct. You are such a baby. You know, I'm a 1983 baby. 1983? Ah, all the 80s really, isn't it? We're practically another generation. And I love you so much. Just when I thought I couldn't love you more, the fact that you're saying it's all the 80s. I'm like, thank you, Sophie. (laughs) Love you. It is. Like, I mean, you don't remember too much of them I don't remember too much of them wish I well, did actually. I do like to think because I was December 83 so when people ask me I'm like 84 really you know for being honest about it That's absolutely 84 yeah I think so so the let's just say the year of my births okay even though my birth cert would um suggest something different so Perfect. this is the year of my birth uh we're in Orinda California on the surface, Bernadette, Bernadette Protty and Kirsten Costas had a lot in common. Both were 15 and members of the swim team. They were both very good students and athletes at Miramonte High School and active in their local communities as well. Would you have said that you were active in your local community, Sophie, when you were a teenager? Um, was I active? I certainly wasn't doing much good for the community. Like, yeah. I really- um, I had I had a Tipex pen that I used to like doing the odd bit of graffiti around the church sometimes. Very oh, small, one of those. Graffiti. Very small graffiti, but like you know Celtic spirals um, and the likes. So and you know the sad thing is, Sophie, I'd say they're probably doing tours and showing American tourists those Celtic spirals now, saying this is actually it dates back to the seventh century. <laughs> There's actually These Tipex a... spirals. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing them and I was, what else was I doing when I was 15? Uh, I was still a little bit afraid of drinking, but I would go and I would watch everyone else and then wait to get really drunk and reach the head off them. Oh, that was a good plan. I was probably, I was just getting into the dollies at that stage. You know, when you raise the drinks cabinet and you're like, just throw it all in that one Coke bottle and we're good to go. I once, um, my mum brought me to a party and it was like a cool young friend of hers and she had vodka jelly shots and I'd never seen the likes before. So I actually shoved about seven of them in the elastic of my sock. <laughs> ah, Sophie, why, and why she, to have later? I just wanted to have a load of jelly shots and I came home. So I was going babysitting, so I shoved them under my bed and my mum knew. She knew that there was something up with the weird John Wayne walk of me. And she fucking found them. Seven or eight so vodka funny. jelly shots lined up under my bed. And would they melt, I wonder, jelly shots? They Probably not. They didn't melt, but I mean, you shouldn't really have them in a, in a sock situation. I mean, I wouldn't say, I think we're not recommending it, is what we're no. saying. Shouldn't so, 
Bernadette and Kirsten, they were like these all-American teenagers. Uh, while 15-year-old Kirsten was considered to be quite popular and a member of like kind of the most popular gang in school. So this kind of like, I suppose it was like the elite clique that everyone wanted to be in. Bernadette wasn't quite that popular, but she was by no means alone or anything. She had her own group of friends and was generally accepted by the school population. Um, yeah, so a class... She's called Bernadette. That's already I know, I know. Standing than her friend. What's the friend's name again? Kirsten. Oh, Kirsten's the pretty one. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I know what you mean. It's kind of like I feel like they were marked from the outset. Like Bernadette is always going to aspire to be Kirsten. And Bernadette's the one that's like, no, Kirsten, let's go home. It's half past yeah. nine. Do you know what, Sophie? You're so intuitive because that is basically the gist of it all. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, do you know what? I'm just going to close the laptop down now because you've got it, girl. You've got it. But you're totally right. So, look, because I do think that sometimes, I spe- especially when I was a teacher, you know, some kids, I feel like they're kind of cursed with these crazy names. And they kind of, they either have to just except this is my life now okay this is my destiny or they have to rebel against the name so it can go either way 100% but these like that Kirsten one she sounds like I don't think I'd have liked her very much I would have been very much like oh piss off you thoroughbred racehorse Swimming well, Kirsten had it all because she had this, like, she was really cute. She was popular. She had this really cool, you know, like that really, um, just really cool, like, 80s curly hair. So she had that lovely curly hair, really popular. She was very wealthy. So you could see why Bernadette was jealous of her, but it probably doesn't excuse what's to come. Could Kirsten have basically been one of those babes in the Jane Fonda workout video? Oh, I'd say absolutely. Give her a few years and she would have been directing the video, I imagine. So oh. Bernadette, look, was she was doing her own thing, but, you know, she was, a classmate did say Bernadette was accepted and popular in her own way, but she had this obsession with being liked. I could never understand why she thought she wasn't. So Bernadette's inferiority complex was slowly and surely just completely taking over her life. She began to kind of deflect her feelings and she... I think she kind of looked at Kirsten and blamed her for the fact that she wasn't popular and also she kind of deflected her feelings of inferiority onto her and was very jealous and looked at this girl who was kind of the manifestation of everything she wanted to be she was really pretty she was vibrant and she just became obsessed with making Kirsten like her at all costs so she really felt that if I can get this amazing person to like me well then it means I'm okay it means I'm going to be one of the cool gang and everything will be grand so she became obsessed with trying to be this girl's friend very very sad isn't it that like at that age that kind of thing is so crucially important like getting yeah poor Bernadette uh, I, well I, I feel I feel as well, you know, with, yeah. And you know, I feel as well with American media, it always comes across maybe unfairly so, but it seems like in the American school system, like the the social groups are even more entrenched. Yeah, I'd absolutely hate it because I would be a shit cheerleader. I don't know where I would fit in. I think I'd be like the girl in the breakfast club that has the fucking dandruff. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, oh god, what a great film, by the way. Can we just can we just mention that for a moment? Although I do love the way The Breakfast Club is supposed to be a film that looks at diversity with six white middle class teenagers. And they're all gorgeous as well. I suppose there's a couple of I mean, I suppose they're not all middle class, but they're all they're all fabulous looking and it's always beautiful, skinny, stunning Molly Ringwald who's like my daddy doesn't have much money but like she's fucking killing it like left right and centre anyway and actually speaking of Molly Ringwald Kirsten even seeing a photo of her she did her hairstyle really was kind of Molly Ringwald-esque like she just was it she really was so both Kirsten and Bernadette belonged to high school kind of you see we wouldn't really get this Sophie because we don't really have this in Ireland but it was like this high school kind of service organisation society thing called the Bobolinks, or they were known as the Bobbies, which kind of represent, it kind of resembled like a college sorority. So you know the way in the American films you see like these kind of girls getting together and it's like this kind of sisterhood thing where they do stuff together and they pledge allegiance to the sorority and all that. So the Bobbies were that kind of group in a high school setting. Okay, so they were just prepping for college, getting ready to join their sorority. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So as their sophomore school year ended, both the girls, Bernadette and Kirsten, tried out for the varsity cheerleading squad. Do you want want to make a prediction just on names alone here? Who got it and who didn't? Who got on the team? Oh, God. Uh, Would it be Kirsten, maybe? Did Bernadette just get snubbed? Yes, Kirsten made it, Bernadette did not. So Bernadette told a friend, I didn't make it and I can't believe it. She was really, really upset by that. She was also dealt another blow when she was rejected for membership into the Atlantis Club, which was like, again, this another kind of exclusive kind of club organisation thing in their high school. And she was also not picked to work on the school's yearbook, which again, was another rejection for her. But give her a bloody break. Let her do even one thing. You think like, you know, some some teacher or somebody around the school would have been like, she's gonna go and fucking top herself soon if somebody doesn't let her be Well, it was it it was a series it was a series of rejections really for Bernadette. And for someone like her with an inferiority complex like this was obviously gonna cut deep. You know, she wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna brush it off. So Kirsten became a constant reminder of Bernadette's failures, I suppose, what she saw as failures. And so Bernadette, who was obviously a very insecure 15-year-old, became obsessed with one remark that Kirsten had made to her when she was they were on this ski trip earlier on in the year. So Bernadette yeah, so Bernadette had told police after she was arrested for killing Kirsten, she said she never liked me. Obviously, Bernadette was referring to Kirsten here. She never liked me. The thing that got me mad was that it hurt. She just said stuff that made me feel bad. So on the ski trip, the girls were all skiing and Bernadette, who was like she wasn't by any stretch of the imagination poor, but she wasn't as wealthy maybe as the other girls. She was using this pair of skis and some boots that were kind of, you know, they they described the description is that they were, quote, real crummy which is obviously such an American description. But Bernadette said, I was having fun anyway. And then Kirsten made some comment about them. Now, the remark was kind of the witnesses at the time said, look, it was just a casual comment. It wasn't meant to sting. But it really hurt Bernadette, who who claimed later 
um, you know, that it kind of represented the fact, or it, for her, it made evident the fact that Kirsten just didn't like her. Right. Tell me the comment. I don't know what the comment was, but it just basically, she passed some comment on the fact that the equipment and, you know, her boots and her skis were kind of not in the best nick. So Kirsten so turned around as Bernadette was having fun, laughing, I'm imagining. Like, yes. you know, a camp and she, commercial. Yeah. And she just says, I was about to do Australian there. I don't know, what's Californian? Um, It'd be like really crummy. Yeah, your, your skis are really crummy. And then yeah, I think that was the gist, Sophie. Yeah, I so think. But you see, it's hard. But I know at that age, like if you hear, even if even if somebody isn't being particularly nasty to you, like that's your kind of default mode is like, oh, everyone's out to get me, you know? Yeah, but I think you can look at it from two sides because I think from Kirsten's point of view, look, kids are kids and, you know, kids can be mean and make comments and not really mean to hurt the other person. But the flip side is from Bernadette's point of view, a passing comment can be hugely hurtful to somebody mm-hmm. at that age as well. Yeah, it was huge to her. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, it was just a comment about the ski boots, you know, just to kind of compartmentalise it a little bit. So uh, she was saying, so Bernadette would have said at the time in relation to that, it just seemed like every everybody else was thinking that, but she was the only one who would ever come out and say that. So this is what she would have said to police later on um, when all the shit hit the fan. So on little, June 20th... On the shoulder, I think. Didn't she? Yeah. 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 So on June 22nd, 1984, while Kirsten was at a cheerleading camp, a young woman called her house and talked with Kirsten's mother. So the girl in question told her mother uh, that Kirsten had been invited to a secret Bobby Links. So one of these secret Bobby's sorority initiation dinner things the next night. Kirsten came back from cheerleading the following day and she was told of the dinner and made plans to attend. So on the night of June 23rd, so this is obviously kind of, you know, the, the most important date in question. So on oh. the night of June 23rd, the other members of the Costas family, so Kirsten's family, they all went off to a baseball game where Kirsten's brother was playing. Her mother called her daughter and told her to enjoy herself at the dinner and the Costases would never see their daughter Kirsten alive again. Stop the lights. She yes. was frustrating something yes yes so uh, the obsession had turned slightly homicidal sophie Mm -hmm. slightly to very i would say very if we're being honest yeah i'm probably just being a bit economical there but you're right let's (laughs) say very so around the same time raymond uh, Protty, who was bernadette's dad so her dad raymond drove Bernadette, his daughter, to a house near their home where Bernadette said she had had a babysitting job. She asked her dad to leave the car, which was an orange Ford Pinto, in front of the house because she she would feel safer. Raymond agreed and walked the 150 yards back to the house. Now, a few minutes later, Bernadette drove off in the Pinto and headed for Kirsten's home. She picked up Kirsten and told her the big reveal that the Bobby's dinner was simply a cover for Kirsten's parents. In fact, they had been invited to an unsupervised party. Right. 
Okay. So this was Bernadette. She would claim that she was really trying to get Kirsten to like her. So she had decided some way along the way, okay, I'm not really friends with Kirsten. I need to just get her on my own, get her to like me. Once she likes me, I'll get into that really popular group in school. All will be fine. But she really felt that Kirsten was the gatekeeper. So she made up this story to basically get Kirsten on her own. Do you think she maybe fancied Kirsten as well? Well, it's, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I necessarily say. There was like a sexual interest there, but she was probably just a bit obsessed with her. You know, I think especially at that age, you can get a bit obsessed with people. Yeah, 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 I do. So I think, I don't know was it so much that she fancied her, but maybe she just wanted to be this girl so much. It sounds like she wants to, like, really crawl up her arse and just live there. Like, she is so enamored. I mean, it's, it's re- but it's, it's, it's really cringe even, like, reading through this story because you just think back to your insecure 15-year-old self oh. and the kind of mad shit she would have done. But I, I mean, obviously, by the way, this is next level. But it does take you back to that place. Sure, I paid for a photo of this guy I fancied once. I paid my oh, friend. Oh, no, For a picture that he was in the background of in Irish college. Brought in money. Ah, Sophie. Yeah. Pathetic. Pathetic. But to be fair, I can understand why you do that with Irish college. Because you're like, I'm never going to see this person again. Like, I need some... I need visual evidence that this happened. No, it wasn't even that. I wasn't even at Irish college. I just wanted a picture of him in my possession. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I hope you didn't pay more than a fiver first. A fiver, fiver was my um, my limit. Max. That well, listen, Bernadette was kind of in a similar situation in that she was just she was throwing everything at this. So it's all kind of reeking of desperation so far. So basically, uh she explained that look obviously this had been just a cover according to Bernadette's confession to police Kirsten agreed to go to the party but wanted to stop off a stop off at a nearby hangout to smoke some cannabis before they went to the party Kirsten's parents Bernadette wanted to smoke the reefer am I correct well Kirsten this is what Bernadette said she said that Kirsten wanted to go smoke a reefer, whatever you want to call it, before the party. But her parents, right. Kirsten's parents, were like, no way. And also, uh, classmates said at the time, which I think is probably fairly accurate, they said, look, that they knew both girls <clears throat> and, you know, didn't sound right. And what Bernadette said was that she didn't want to smoke, even though Kirsten wanted to smoke. And Bernadette said, I didn't want to smoke. We just talked, you know, argued, not argued really, but she didn't think it was a big deal. I just didn't want to, Bernadette told police. She thought I was just being weird. Now, classmates said, having known both girls, they insisted, which would make a lot more sense, that Bernadette was so desperate to be accepted that she would have done anything Kirsten wanted and definitely would have accepted the offer of the smoke. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it doesn't make sense. Of course she would have. She would have probably engaged in some kind of gangbang if she thought it would raise a smirk. Of course. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense. So according to Bernadette, 
that's what they were arguing about, which doesn't really have the ring of truth. And uh, she said that Kirsten then stormed out of the car and headed to a nearby house where she told the homeowners who were called the Arnolds. So she knew this family, they were family friends. She said, look, she had been with a friend and she said that the friend had gotten, quote, weird. The neighbours in question, so the, the, these this couple, the Arnolds, they said that she didn't seem to be under the influence of any drugs and she's again, which kind of supported her parents' contention that like she wouldn't have been a drug user. Um, and she said, like, look, can is there any chance I can use the phone to ring my parents? Because this friend that I've been hanging with has gotten a bit strange. So Kirsten was trying to ring her parents. There was nobody at home because they were all at this baseball game. So despite the fact that they'd had a little bit of a tiff, she didn't seem to be scared or anything so the Arnold said look we'll give you a ride home we'll give you a lift home and she said yeah great perfect and uh, on the stand during Bernadette's trial this family friend this um, Arnold person testified that Kirsten was upset but she wasn't frightened okay she was ready uh, so to yeah and just yeah she was like a little bit weird but look it's grand so on the way home this man Mr Arnold noticed that there was now no this is important they noticed that there was a light coloured Ford Pinto which matched Bernadette's car uh, appeared to be following them Kirsten assured him that it was fine it was no big deal arriving at Kirsten's house she told uh, that she told the man that her family was out and that she was going to go next door to a neighbour so this man, Mr. Arnold, watched her cross the lawn. While he watched her crossing the lawn, he caught sight of a female figure pass his car in pursuit of Kirsten. So while Kirsten was on the porch of the neighbor's house, Bernadette attacked her with a large knife. She stabbed Kirsten five times, two foot-long gashes in her back and two to Kirsten's oh. front, including a 15-inch slash that penetrated her left arm, her chest and her left lung. The remaining wound was a defensive wound on Kirsten's right arm. Uh, so the, the wounds had actually punch, punctured her lung and also they had damaged her liver. So she was screaming for help. She staggered to her feet and she ran across the road, Kirsten, even though she was obviously like seriously injured, while Bernadette uh, fled off in the car. Uh, so a witness that has just happened and there was no build up. She just straight away across the grass, knife in hand, stabbed Yeah, down. She's absolutely it's quite scary. You know, it's just it's just so open. Your man's in the and car. I, I, yeah, it's, it's open. Shit. And I think the really scary thing is, you know, you could see how if they'd had some argument in the car and it happened in the heat of the moment. But the fact that she had followed her and then got out of the car, followed her across the lawn and the stabbed her. Little snake, like slowly, slowly tailing poor, what's his name's car? Ramsey. Mr. Henry. Arnold. Mr. Arnold. He does have a first name, but I did just write Arnold. But we'll, so we'll just call him Mr. I'm sure he wouldn't be offended. So uh, a witness reported that poor Kirsten was shouting, help me, help me, I've been stabbed. And the witness did say she was in shock. I tried to hold her hand and pray a little. Uh, the Costas family returned home shortly after the attack, only to find their normally quiet street 
very, very busy. There was a lot going on. There was police and an ambulance and they saw their daughter being loaded into the ambulance. They obviously followed it to the nearby hospital and the two, the, the, the poor girl was pronounced dead at 11.02 p.m. that night. Oh, my God. So an hour before Kirsten was declared dead, in a really bizarre attempt at appearing like everything was fine, Bernadette went home and took a walk with her mother. Her mother later stated that nothing seemed to be amiss with her daughter. Bernadette is is a chilling, chilling teenager, isn't she? It's quite she chilling, just, isn't it? it she, really, she really is sinister that she's yeah. just... She's really trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes. But actually, like, she doesn't stand a chance. That's what shows she's such a bloody teenager. You know, like, well, you'd be so surprised, up- though. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You would be surprised in terms of uh so the way she's acting, you would think this is obviously so bizarre, so strange. Obviously, the police are going to come knocking the next morning and arrest her. But that actually didn't happen. That's not how it played out. So Bernadette was obviously one of the many students who attended Kirsten's funeral. And over the course of the summer, she t- just carried on as normal. Uh, she took classes. Uh, she, you know, um, did sports. She hung out with her friends. And she told police, I was really good at blocking it out of my mind. And I still am. That's why I can live through every day because it doesn't seem real. She's put it in a box, locked it away yeah. and isn't she's she's completely compartmentalizing this. Yeah, but it's it's very strange because they did. The police had two leads. So obviously this happened in June, what but the, the police had two very good. Yeah. They, yeah. They had, two, they had two very good leads. So the first lead was a female figure had been sighted. And the second lead was the female figure was driving a light coloured Pinto. So they conducted more than 300 interviews, including four with Bernadette. And they examined 754 Pintos, including Bernadette's car. And nothing. Well... Nothing, nothing as of yet, but to police, they did think that she was a likely suspect. But basically, which is always the case, isn't it really? Her friends and her family were like, no, she could never engage in such an awful act. Uh, So one friend said, I knew she had the Pinto, but she was the last person you think of. She seemed as upset about the murder as everyone else. So she was crocodile tearsing as well. Yeah, for the whole summer. Poor Kirsten. No. Yeah. I don't like that, Bernadette. 
Well, it's all very manipulative. And after making little progress, the local police contacted the FBI's Behavioural Sciences Unit for assistance. Now, I found this very interesting. So they asked them to come up with a profile. And uh, so they got this, they got this, um, they got this profiling model, which is essentially like, it's all very interesting. It's the deductive criminal profiling model is what it's called. And it basically looks at crime scene photographs, autopsy reports. Uh, They look through victimology, crime scene behavior patterns, individual patterns of behavior, demographics, emotions, motivations, all of that kind of stuff. So they came back with a profile and investigators use that profile. They narrowed, imagine, just with the use of the profile, they narrowed their suspect list to one. What did you say, Sophie? I said it's very complex. They obviously they should have had that around the time of the old Yorkshire Ripper, the old profiling. Well, it's but it's really scientific. It's actually fascinating. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. So um, using the profile and actually they use that in, you know, that that show with the uh, Mind Hunter on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So they use profiling that as well. But imagine using all of that. They narrowed their suspect list to just one person. Guess who the person was? Bernadette. Yes. Um, so they brought her in. You're spot on, Sophie. So they Thanks. brought her in and the FBI agent went through the description of the person and they asked Bernadette what she thought and she said, it sounds mm. just like me. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, the chink was up now, really, at this stage. Um, So Bernadette was brought in for more questioning and agreed to take a polygraph. Unsurprisingly, she failed parts of it. Other parts were inconclusive. uh, inconclusive. But unbelievably, police imagine still lacked sufficient evidence. No. To charge her. Yeah. And so in the months following the murder, Bernadette had, you know, she was keeping a journal and she was jotting down all her thoughts and feelings. And she said in one of the entries, I have caused a lot of hurt and pain to a lot of people. I don't want to hurt people anymore. I want to go to heaven when I die. I regret what I did. I can't bring Kirsten back or change time. If I kill myself, I will hurt people even more, i.e. my family. And she did consider to commit suicide, but she was quite religious. And that's what stopped her doing it. She did say in that entry, I would go to hell if I killed myself. Right. So in December, so this is now, this obviously the murder happened in June. It's December now and like Bernadette is still in school like with her classmates but one morning before school December 10th she penned a note to her mother and father um, and she left the note where her mother would find it after she'd gone to school. So dear mom and dad this is what the note said I have been trying to tell you this all day but I love you so much it's too hard so I'm taking the easy way out. The FBI man thinks I did it and he is right. I've been able to live with it but I can't ignore it. It's too much for me and I can't be that deceiving. Please still love me. I can't live unless you love me. I've ruined my life and yours and I don't know what to do and I'm ashamed and scared. Burn P.S. Please don't say why. Please don't say how could you or why because I don't understand this and I don't know why. Oh, 
Yes. So obviously her mother was totally distraught, picked her up from school, called her husband. And the mother then said after, I wanted a last chance with my daughter. I wanted not so much to talk to her as to be with her. So they drove her to the sheriff's office where obviously Bernadette made a full confession. Throughout the rambling confession, Bernadette repeated that she could not explain why she did it. She said, I guess I was angry. I really don't know. I, she was telling me to go away. I just got angry and I did it. The motive seemed to be fear that Kirsten was going to tell others that she was weird. She also stated that it was not until the following morning that she learned of Kirsten's death. I think she did something bloody dodgy with, with Kirsten. Like something actually like... That she that she thought might have been like total social. Suicide. Yes. Well, there was that. That was one hundred. So she was constantly banging on about how she didn't know why she did it. For you know, blah she's blah just blah. Saying, she's not budging here, but there's something she's not. Saying. I think you're totally right. Like she, there was definitely a massive, massive fear with her that Kirsten was going to say something to others and as you say it would have been social suicide so that was definitely the motive even though she kept saying I don't know why I did it but that was clearly the motive it's it's just a load of shite though because you can tell that you know like I remember being that age and be like oh I, I don't know uh, uh, I don't know I guess uh, it, it fit well I never would have said I get America but like you know just yeah, just that whole like, oh, I, I don't know, it wasn't me. Uh, like, she, there's something there that she's not saying. Well, it definitely, the, the motive was definitely just that she wanted to preserve her popularity. I mean, as if everyone's going to be like, oh, really want to go to a sleepover in Bernadette's now. You know, I know, I know. But isn't it unbelievable that this went on for so long and it was only when she confessed... <laughs> Like, they were kind of happy as Larry to kind of leave her to it, like, you know. Well, and you know what was very sad was, yeah, and what was very sad was that Kirsten's dad was convinced it was one of her classmates and that he was really freaked out by the fact that they would have gone back to school and they were in school and he was right. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant that he thought it was another classmate and he was like harboring all this anger and rage on another classmate that wasn't Bernadette. No, but he did think just his gut was like, it's it's someone in school with her. Jealous little wagon. Which is awful, yeah. Total wagon. But because she was only 15 years old, California law required that Bernadette be tried as a juvenile. She never disputed the crime. I mean, how could you? But she did say that... She hadn't had, basically she wasn't premeditated and as such she should only be charged with second degree murder. So the the case itself was a bit at the time, it was like obviously there was huge media interest in it and like a lot of the mothers and daughters from the school would have gone to the courtroom every day and you know her defence attorney, which I thought was just unbelievable that he would even make this comment, he did say at one stage Bernadette had said she feared nothing more than public humiliation and that has happened there's no real purpose to have this trial I think the quality of justice suffers and actually the prosecutor said which again is totally fair she was like look ultimately the family of the victim want to pursue this as first degree murder that's what they wanted that's why we're having the trial and you can't blame them for that but also I mean, it clearly was premeditated. Like she was. Well, yes, this is well. Quite she 
she knew like she she, she what did she, like her dad drove her to that spot mm. where where was she actually going to bring her where was the plan going to end it was well it's 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 all very wishy-washy because obviously the party by the way was just a ruse as well oh. so like there was no party oh so did she have somewhere she was going to bring her stab to her heart's content and just it would a bit more privacy maybe I would think that she had planned maybe, maybe she had planned for it to kill her in another place, but that Kirsten had bailed on her and gotten out of the car and that kind of scuppered her plan. I think she definitely wanted a more intimate style stab. There was, it, it just feels, it feels to, but honestly, I'd say it was more of an intimate style stab was what she was after because yeah. it was so public you would question like wh- how anyone could do that in a public yeah. place. I think maybe maybe that's what she's doing. You know the way sometimes when you don't want to tell the truth fully, let's say when you're younger, I wouldn't do it now, but when you admit to one little part of something, but you don't say the rest. Yes. Like when, when she was like, you know, oh, I don't know why I did it. I didn't mean to do it. Like, yeah, she doesn't know what, why the impulse came upon her when she was running into the house and why she couldn't control that. But she's not revealing... You know I think I mean? you're totally right, Sophie. I think she actually had convinced herself she was telling the truth, as you mm-hmm. say, just because she told a tiny little bit of the truth. Yeah. And sometimes you can justify that to yourself and you can be like, well, look, conscience clear. I've told a little part. And, you know, it's, it's OK. And I think I think you're spot on. I think that's exactly what her thought process was. But in terms of the premeditation, there was a couple of things which I found interesting. So during the trial, a lot of the testimony obviously focused on the murder weapon, which, of course, was this really big. It was a blade with 12. It was a 12 inch blade, a kitchen Ooh. knife. Yeah. Huge knife. Massive. Bloody, bloody sword, a cleaver. I was thinking the same, like, what would she even use that for? I'd say our friend Catherine had a few of them in her bloody house. Oh, well, I mean, like, yeah, but our old mate Catherine, to be fair to Catherine, was a butcher. So we wouldn't, you know what I mean? A knife connoisseur. Yeah, you know, I don't know why Bernadette would have needed it in her kitchen. But anyway, so Bernadette... Yeah, it's it's huge, like huge knife. So Bernadette had said that she, quote, noticed a knife in the car during her drive with Kirsten, which, of course, would have negated the prosecution's contention that this was a first degree murder, i.e. that she had it all premeditated. Mm-hmm. Like, so come on. Like, her dad isn't going to, like, leave a big old kitchen knife. Like, nobody's going to believe that. Well, this is the thing. So her sister, Marianne, had said, it is possible I left it there, who was one of the suspects, Bernadette's older sisters. She said, which, like, does this have the ring of truth? She said that she was in the habit of preparing her vegetarian meals in the car with a 12-inch knife. Mm Mm-mm. No, it doesn't wash with me because... If if that was the case, Keska Sale chopping board, you're not going to be doing that on the bloody seats, are you? And you can't be doing it on your leg because it'll cut into your leg. Yeah, I just think I well, I think that it's Where just interesting accoutrements for your vegetarian feast in the car. Tell I mean, me that. yeah, exactly. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that the sister now would have, and actually the family. Uh, have since left California but the sister would have gotten a lot of grief over that comment because I would feel that is not true I just don't know why you would need a 12 inch knife 
why you would leave it in the car you know she just happens to notice the knife it's it doesn't have the ring of truth very very stupid of her to say that yeah so basically the prosecutor said that um, Bernadette was determined to kill Costas if Kirsten did not agree to quote be her friend and get her into the into the in crowd uh the prosecutor also said that her confession to authorities was self-serving and she was without remorse until she knew having met this fbi fbi agent that the arrest was gonna happen it was inevitable and that's when she made her confession oh okay so she was still trying up to the last the last minute that's what the prosecutor said. Now, actually, one of the things that her defence lawyer threw out, which was kind of a latched on to maybe at the time, just as a point of maybe kind of a broader social interest, was that her defence lawyer was saying, look, you know, in this area, it's an affluent area, it's a wealthy area, the high school is, you know, held in very high regard. In this area, it might be the case that teenagers react more sensitively to slights and just, you know, seemingly kind of innocuous comments and instance, et cetera, because their parents' expectations for them are so high. Yeah, but it just means they're all a little bit more arseholy. And it yeah. doesn't mean you don't kill someone. killing people because you're not, yeah. you know, happy clappy that mummy and daddy, you know, aren't providing you with a little, I'd imagine in the, in the 80s, it'd be one of those little jeeps that the sweet valley high girls had you know like yeah it's it's all it's all bullshit really to be honest you know obviously it's just it's just making excuses for it but in 1986 Bernadette was convicted and sentenced to the maximum term so she was convicted of secondary second degree murder and she was sentenced to the maximum term which was nine years in the custody of the California Youth Authority because of course when she committed this crime she was only 15. I mean, like, it's it doesn't seem like that long. But you know what still astounds me to this day? That the bloody Bulger murderers are out now. Well, you see, this is the thing. Like, ultimately when... Yeah, yeah, because they're young. I mean, really, if, if anybody wants to commit any murders or do anything truly terrible, do it while you're young, because it's all right. You'll do you upon your kid? Well, and you see, it's it's one of the things that ultimately, you know, it continues to garner such controversy. It's like, could you say, I mean, you know, realistically, I think that, uh, you know, I think most people would say a 15 year old knows the difference between right and wrong and they know it's wrong to kill someone. Absolutely. Like, isn't it? What is it here? It's like 12 or something, isn't it? Like 12 is the age that like... I think I think it's 12 because, of course, we had that awful case last year. But yeah, I think it was 12, wasn't it? In that yeah, instance. I, it's 12. And I think like that's fair enough. Like any older and you're like, you, you bloody know when you're 13 when you've done something. I think like, so. Yeah. And also with Bernadette, a lot of it seemed to be like, obviously it goes out saying during the trial, it was like torrential tears every day. And it did just feel quite manipulative. And the fact that she didn't confess to it immediately and she went about her life for so long. Yeah, like that's, that's very unpleasant the way she did that. Yeah. And so... 
her mother then uh her mother then said at the well Kirsten's mother I should say Kirsten's mother said at Bernadette's sentencing hearing my heart is empty I ache I'm half a person she probably will be given her freedom in a few years I asked the people of California is this justice so sure enough Bernadette was paroled when she was 23 so had her whole life ahead of her probably just working out in prison getting ready for the old uh, well this is it and she was so she was released from supervision then completely at 25 when she moved out of the state with her family uh so her family moved out of california uh kirsten's poor family also left california and there would be a lot of rumors like currently swirling like there'd be a lot of stuff on the internet etc about you know bernadette um having assumed a new identity and a lot of the sources sources would suggest that she's married with a family and she's working as a nurse Mm, a nurse i don't know how i feel about that which is an interesting twist. So that is the story of the death of Kirsten Costas. I love it. And I love as well. I love a good uh, witch hunt for an ex-criminal who's assumed a new identity. It's my yeah, well, there, there is a lot of that. And actually, if you Googled, you would find, you know, the new identity fairly quickly. But, you know, I'm obviously not, you know, going to share that on the podcast. Yeah. But there, there have been a few adaptions as well, like a few different, a few different movies, etc. Death of a Cheerleader, uh, also known as A Friend to Die For, with Tori Spelling uh, uh-huh. was the character based on Kirsten Costas. The ultimate uh, California girl. I know, I know. I actually kind of nearly want to go off and watch it now. And there's been a couple of other different things, but it really is, it's an interesting one because obviously the motivation being the preservation of popularity. It was a very interesting one, that whole dynamic between between teenage girls and how, how something quite small can be blown up into their heads. Yeah into a big old shitstorm and so, the emotions and the hormones and everything. So watch out for 15-year-old cheerleaders is what we're trying to say. Steer clear of the cheers. And also, you don't need a 12-inch knife for vegetarian snacks. No, think of better excuses, you know, if you're called to the stand. It's really, really bad. Sister. Like, what else could you have said, like... I was, I was, I've gotten into fencing. Yeah. Or do you know what? Sometimes I like to read a book about taxidermy and just hold the knife. I, I, I've never practiced any. But I just now like that, to... that it definitely has. That's de- that would have a lot of credulity. I feel clever, isn't it? Because it's like it's if, very if clever, Sophie. In taxidermy, they'd be like, "Show me, show me your um your animals," and I'd be like, "Ah, fuck! I haven't done any. It's a lie." But do you know what, Sophie? I think you could be capable of the perfect murder. <laughs> I wouldn't put so? it past you. <laughs> I'm a schemer. On that note, Sophie, it's been an abs- absolute pleasure. I was going to say, I went to all Sean Curry. Sophie, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I've had a fantastic time. I'm sure we'll do another crime land before this lockdown is over. Let's face it. <laughs> So I thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. You're an absolute joy. Totally hilarious. What's your Instagram handle again, Sophie? Sophie Shanley. No. Oh, any- how did you come up with it? Fantastic oh, stuff. Me? Sophie, I'm going to let you go. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks again, Julia. Stay safe out there. Bye, Soph. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.